We're thankful to be together once again, uh, and we do give God the glory and the praise for uh, this time. Uh, we trust that you're well, and if you are visiting with us, we want to extend a warm welcome. Uh, we're glad that you could join us today. We've been going through the book of Acts. We'll continue to go through the book of Acts, Acts uh, chapter 4 this morning. We also want to welcome those who are joining us online. Uh, we know that you can't be uh, together with us, but please know that you are together with us and that we are thankful to be able to join together uh, and worship uh, in the freedom that God gives us today. I'm going to read from Acts 4. Acts 4, if you've been with us uh, through this series, you will know that things have been going well for the church. Uh, it has been Pentecost and the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church. Uh, we Oh, uh, sorry, before I continue that story, we do have children's church. So if you would like to, uh, if the children would like to go, it's just straight behind us, right behind us. Uh, and please know that uh, you're welcome to, to go there uh, and enjoy that time together. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, we have the Holy Spirit. Uh, Acts 2, Peter preaches this powerful message because he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and many people are being saved. We see the church is formed uh, and then in Acts 3, we see this amazing miracle that takes place. This man who had been lame for over 40 years. Uh, Peter and John did not have gold or silver to give, but what they did have was a healing in the name of God. So all things had been going well. But now that we come to uh, Acts chapter 4, we read the beginning of persecution. We read the beginning of persecution. So... Obviously a difficult topic or uh, chapter when you, when you consider um, a, a message uh, that surrounds itself with the beginnings of persecution. So our, our sermon this morning has been entitled, Taken into Custody. And obviously this is uh, the beginning of a sad and difficult and yet amazing story that we read in Acts 4. So I'm going to read to verse 22. We'll cover the first 13 verses uh, Lord willing today, but I'll read to verse 22 of Acts chapter 4. The words should come up on the screen behind. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified 
and whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing here before you healthy. Then he explains why they would be so annoyed. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in his name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for the power of the living word. We give you thanks for the story of the resurrected Jesus. The one promised has come to bring in the kingdom of God. And while we experience the forgiveness of sins, we are also under the reign and the rule of our Lord Jesus Christ who has ascended on high and reigns to place enemies under his footstool. And even though opposition may come towards your people, the gates of hell will not prevail. And we also know that by your gracious hand, we will be kept by you. Because it will not be in our strength, but it will be in the strength that we receive by the indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you throughout the church or throughout the ages, throughout Scripture, throughout history. Even in opposition, the church, your people, have been courageous in the name of Jesus. Thank you that the church stands in the power of Christ today around the world, proclaiming and teaching the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of all those who put their faith in him. Father, we have reason to be courageous. We have reason 
to say as we have read or as we have heard Peter say, let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, that the good news and the gospel goes forward today. Take away the discouragement from the church. We know that these are difficult days, but Father, you have cared for us so, so well. You have loved us, and you have kept us in these times. And you never diminish the difficulty of the times, but you do overwhelm us with your goodness and with your grace. And we just want to bow before you as we gather again once, or as we gather once again today to acknowledge your goodness and your good presence. And Lord, we want to grow through these times. We want to, we want to mature through these times so that we become more effective. And that many, many would be saved. Lord, lay it upon our heart. And as we travel through this, that you would deal with us personally and you would deal with us as a church. We pray this because you're good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we mentioned, this is going to be a, a rather difficult story because anytime you talk about being taken into custody, you're talking about a difficult time in life. Uh, or in a country. Uh, a book that greatly impacted me when I was growing up was entitled Tortured for Christ by Richard Wormbrand. You might have heard of the book. Um, we would gather around the supper table afterwards and we would pray for those who were behind the Iron Curtain uh, that uh, they would know the protection and the goodness of God even as they were being persecuted to this day, it's a difficult book to pick up and read of a pastor and his family and the church in Romania who suffered not only for Christ, but also suffered with Christ. We don't even need to just read a book like Tortured for Christ. The Bible is saturated with a theology of persecution and suffering for the sake of the gospel. The Bible is also saturated with suffering believers who went through difficult times, who did good works, and who preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. It did not slow down the gospel. It did not diminish their faith, even though their faith was challenged. The church still stands today. The Old Testament prophets were persecuted. Jesus talked about picking up your cross and how he was hated so his disciples would be hated. Peter and Paul suffered persecution. They warned of persecution. They taught the, the church how to respond in times of persecution and also where to find comfort. The final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, a major theme is Christ's resurrection power under persecution. Church history is saturated with persecution and opposition. You might have heard of the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who uh, lived under uh, during the time of the Nazis. He wrote this in Flossenburg in his cell, uh, I believe just before he died in 1937. 
Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not all that surprising that Christians should be called to suffer. In other words, if we understand Scripture and church history, we understand that it is not surprising that Christians should be called to suffer. Persecution continues to happen to our brothers and sisters around the world today, many experiencing the horrors of being taken into custody because they lift high the name of Jesus Christ. And the Western world is also beginning to understand the path towards suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. Acts 4 is the beginning of the story of opposition in the book of Acts. And the question that we want to ask ourselves today is, from this text, how does God's Word teach us to suffer well? Because we may not always suffer well. How does the Word, God's Word, teach us to suffer well when we are taken into custody because we are hated for the gospel's sake? How does God's Word, specifically today, how does Acts 4 teach us to suffer well when we are taken into custody, not for just any reason, but because we are hated for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're going to divide the passage up into three parts. We're first of all going to look at how did the church experience persecution in verses uh, 1 through 3. And then we're going to look at how did the church respond to persecution in verses 5 through 12. And then in verses 4, 7, and 13, how did God respond? How did the church experience persecution? How did the church respond to persecution? And then how did God respond to persecution? So first, in verses 1 through 3, how did the church experience persecution? Now, this is just a general statement for Acts chapter 4. And it is just to say that it is amazing how gracious God was in the beginning of the story of the persecution or the beginning of persecution in the early church. God gave Peter and John what they could handle. Today there is so much fear, and part of the fear is because God will give us today what we cannot handle or give us in the future what we cannot handle. And what we read as persecution rolls out in the book of Acts That God was so gracious, if we could put it this way, to introduce persecution or opposition into the lives of the apostles. We could go back and we could read um, Jesus warning them that they will be persecuted, warning them that they will stand before the Sanhedrin. But don't worry, he says, the Holy Spirit will be with you and he will teach you what to say. So God is so gracious and God will be gracious to you. God will not give you more than you can handle. You don't need to worry about five years from now because God will be there. And God will take these days so that you will be where you didn't think you would be in five years from now, but you will be given the strength and the grace filled with the Holy Spirit to live in that moment proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. 
The opposition would grow with intensity and the jealousy and the hatred of the gospel would grow and the beatings would grow. But what we read in this introduction uh, to persecution is they had a one-night stay in prison, they were given a warning, and they were set free. God was very gracious in how he introduced or um, how persecution took place initially. So how did, they, how did the church experience persecution more specifically? Well, in verse 1, we read, opposition always seems stronger. This is what gives people so much fear. They look around, they look to the future, and they say, everything is stronger. We are going to be crushed by the enemy. Verses 1 and 2 know how you feel. Verses 1, 2, and 6, I think it's verse 6, are intimidation verses. Listen to verse 1. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them. These are powerful people. Just take the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the main political force who controlled Jewish and political life. They were the nobility, the wealthy, the elite. They also denied the supernatural, evil spirits, angels, and even the resurrection of the dead. So when they preached about the resurrection of the dead, they were standing in front of those who would oppose them. But they would oppose them with power because they knew the chief, uh, the temple police. They knew the other priests. And they had come and they captured them. We read in verse 6, five and, or verse six, 5 and 6, the next day when they wake up, they're hauled in front of the court. And this is just the, a list of who's who. These are powerful people. This is a powerful gathering. Rulers, elders, scribes assembled in Jerusalem. Verse 6, you had Annas the high priest. You had Caiaphas, John, Alexander, all the members of the high priestly family. They were all there. And then in verse 7 you had, have, and after, after they had Peter and John stand before them. It's like, who are these two guys? This is so embarrassing. So, why, why are they even here? There is such power. There is such intimidation. There is such wealth. There is such a strong sense of opposition. How could they speak? What would they say? How could they stand before all this opposition and the beginning of persecution? And that's how we feel. We feel, how can we stand? We can name people. We can name things going on. We can name things going around other countries. And we can say, God, that if, we, if something doesn't happen today, then this will happen and then everything will be awful. And Acts gives us room to breathe. It is going to look impossible. The opposition will always seem stronger. But those who oppose the apostles and the church are not standing today. The church stands today. The gates of hell have not prevailed against the church or against the believers finding their hope in God. It is those who presented themselves strong and as if they had the authority and their court was the final court, as if they could suppress the word of God that are no longer here today and God's church has spread worldwide. 
They could not hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will always be a great show of force. There will always be strength of opposition, humanly speaking. But it is not a time for the church to retreat. It is not a time for the church to grow in fear. It is a time for the church to stand. And as we say, and as we read Peter say, let me tell you about the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Not only, is oppos- not only will opposition always seem stronger, but opposition hates the message of the resurrection of Jesus. Opposition hates the message, the resurrection of Jesus. This is actually found in verse 2. Listen to what it says. Because they were annoyed. The word annoyed means to toil through. You know when you're having a tough time getting through? They couldn't get through the resurrection, the teaching of the resurrection. It annoyed them. It disturbed them. They were offended. They were pained. They were all worked up. They were annoyed. Now we can ask the question, well, why did they hate the resurrection? What was it about the resurrection? Their question, I think, is actually answered by, or their their hatred for the resurrection is actually answered in the question that they ask um, Peter and John. Remember the question back in verse 7? After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to, to question them. You know we do this as well, right? We'll ask a question that's really an answer, and we'll want them to accept our kind of question, but it's more of an answer. So, They're asking a question, but their question is the answer, and their answer is the reason why they hate the resurrection. They hate the power, and they hate the name of Jesus. They could have asked, so um, what are you guys doing? That's not, their question was very specific. By what power or in what name have you done this? That's just not an offense to their power and their religion, it is specifically by we don't like your power and we don't like the name of Jesus. It was his power and his name. His name we saw last week was included his authority. It included his person. It included his works, his miracles, his raising from the dead, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. They hated everything about Jesus. They did not want his power. They did not want his person. They especially did not want his authority. And they did not want that to be taught. We understand this. We understand this in our natural hearts because that is where we are before we come to Jesus. You may understand this because today you're wrestling with who Jesus is. And what Jesus means to you and where Jesus fits in your life and where, who Jesus even is. Peter and John lived and preached in such a way where the officials came and said, we understand what you're doing. You're talking about the power of Jesus through the healing. And you're talking about the person of Jesus, his authority, that you must come to Jesus in order to be saved. And that highly offends us. And that is the culture in which we live. The opposition hates the message of the resurrection of Jesus because the resurrected Jesus is a conquering Jesus. He is an ascended Jesus, and he is a Jesus who will raise our bodies from the dead. And he is a Jesus who has given us new life now. And then finally, opposition will use force. I probably should say opposition often will use force. It doesn't always use force, but it often uses force. 
We don't have time to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 through 10, and look at Paul's persecutions, the way that he was persecuted. We can look at John 15 and talk about how Jesus prepared his disciples for persecution. Persecution will use, will often use force. We read this in verse 3. And I know we get used to reading this kind of stuff, but it is painful to read. They seized him. And if I look back at Richard Wormbrandt's book, they, they, they came at night, I believe, I forget, but they seized him. They took him away from his family. They took him into custody until the, um, they took him into custody. These are painful words. There is persecution that is happening around the world today. In an article, Persecution on the Rise, world, uh, persecution on the rise Worldwide, 50, it says this, 56 nations, more than a quarter of the world's countries, imposed high or very high restrictions on religious freedom. 56 nations. Taken together, in 2018, 40% of the world's countries, 80 countries overall, had high or very high levels of overall restrictions on religion. 40% of the world's countries. Christians are the most persecuted religion, facing harassment in 145 countries. Islam comes second at 139. Why do we spend time here? We spend time here because I have become concerned with the, within the heightened rhetoric or with the heightened rhetoric within churches today. Churches are free within the confines of sometimes their interpretation of Scripture or in their understanding or in their polity or whatever else it might be, to, to, to act their conscience before the Lord. But it is when churches start calling out other leaders and saying that they're sinning that we begin to go to a place where there is increased division between churches and between members. Kirk Wellam from the principal of Toronto Baptist Seminary uh, wrote, I thought, what was a good letter, and this was part of his letter. He says, as the pandemic lingers and government-mandated restrictions remain in place, many pastors and congregations have questions about the proper course of action. Further complicating things is social media through which people are exposed to voices within the Christian community raising questions about the right way to respond to the restrictions imposed by the civil government. These opinions range from acquiescence to defiance and their appeals to biblical authority leave many Christians confused and uncertain about what to do. There are many who are confused and uncertain. And then you add on to that that there is heightened rhetoric which calls out certain people for not being brave or for not doing certain thing a certain way. And there is confusion. And so 
what I think helps in all of this is the two questions that come out of Acts 4, two things that would happen in our passage are these, the early church, those in Acts 4 are hated because of the resurrection of Jesus. They are hated because of the resurrection of Jesus. Why is the church to be hated today? We can have our differences. We can even have our differences in how we respond or think how we should respond personally or as a church to this very difficult and challenging time. But those differences should not provide and those differences should not be the issue that divides. If there is to be any division or if there is to be any opposition that comes towards the church, it should be through our proclamation and teaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the claim of the the effective work of Jesus because of the resurrection of the saints. The second thing that happens in Acts chapter 4 that we won't make make it to today, but we'll do it next week, uh, Lord willing, is they were not, they were asked to stop preaching the gospel. They were asked to stop preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were hated because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they were asked to stop preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We give God thanks that we have not been stopped or we have not been asked to stop preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have been given freedom by God's goodness to continue to proclaim his coming, his birth, his perfect and pure life, his healing, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his second return and eternal glory, and eternal hope. We have been given freedom to do this. We have been inconvenienced. We have been disturbed. But we have not experienced what has been experienced in Acts 4, where we have been stopped to proclaim, asked to stop proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you want to know gospel issues that are deep, In Canada right now, just look at Bill C-6 that talks about how how one can do, um, how one can talk about uh, in in counseling and in sharing about maybe different lifestyles, uh, lifestyle issues, or even Bill C-7, which is horrific. It's an assault against some of the basic elements of Scripture and the Gospel, and that is the value and the dignity of life, where we're just going to put our, our elderly people out if, because they begin to disturb us too much, and they begin to, you know, they, they're an inconvenience among us, rather than being a society of mercy and justice who cares for those who are elderly. And on top of that, whatever... the. Is COVID going to divide the church? Is COVID, that's going to be what divides us? 
If anything divides us, it ought to be the resurrection of Jesus Christ when we are told to stop. Sure, there's fears about the future. Sure, there's direction that the country is headed. But as we'll see, the church responded a certain way and God responded so that we do not need to respond in fear today because of fears we might have five years from now. Whatever we hold about COVID, we do know that the elderly among us have especially been hit hard. And those, if we value all of life, there ought to be at least at minimum the message from all churches that even in our disagreements and what you may read and what I may read and the conclusion that you may come to and how the church may operate and all of that kind of stuff, the conclusion should be that those who are elderly among us, they are cared for, they are loved, and we will seek to love them and protect them in a way that honors God because they're, they're our elderly brothers and sisters. How do we care for them? How do we care for the weak and the vulnerable? How do we care for the unborn? How do we care for, we've been reading about the disabled, that our country just wants, what, what do they want with them today? To get rid of them. And the church needs to be a leading voice for those who do not have a voice for themselves and to stand up and to say all life is created in the image of God and is therefore valuable. And we will do good deeds to protect the elderly, good deeds to protect the vulnerable, good deeds to protect the unborn so that when they come and say, what are you doing? They'll not only hear the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but they will also see the good deeds and how we seek to protect those who are vulnerable and those who are weak. It is like James says, those who are orphans and widows, those who are the weakest among us, those are the ones who we are to come gather around and, and, and care for, especially in the church. This is, I think, I, I, the reason I speak about this is because I hope it's helpful. The question to help us today is, are they hating us because of the resurrection? That is the question. Are they hating us because of the resurrection? In all the diversity, I think what happens in Acts, and this is the beginning of the person, they will be hated because of the resurrected Jesus Christ throughout Acts. It will be the resurrected Jesus Christ. They do not like Christ. They do not like Jesus. They don't want Jesus preached. They don't want to see the healings of Jesus. They don't want to see the good works of Jesus done through the church. They, it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that bothered them so much. And if we are going to be persecuted or hated, it should be because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we begin to understand, we begin to understand that we are under persecution when we are asked to stop preaching the resurrection. That's, now, there might be things that lead up to persecution, but that becomes, that becomes uh, the point where we say in Bill C6, if, you can, if we cannot say certain things, then we must say those things because those are gospel things that we're saying. Today, is the world hating us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And 
Are we experiencing persecution because we have stopped, been asked to stop preaching about the resurrection? Have we been asked to stop preaching and teaching the resurrection of Jesus? So we may have differences, all sorts of differences with COVID. We might have personal perspectives. We might, um, churches might have different perspectives, and that is all fine. But one of the prayers through all of this is that it is the resurrection of Jesus that unites us. Do you want to know the most subversive thing that you could do today? Do you want to know the most anti-culture thing that you can do today? Today is not take a position on COVID, but it is to take a position on the resurrected Jesus Christ. It is to stand and say, Jesus Christ lives today. And that the culture around us would hear the resurrected of Jesus Christ, not this stuff that's happening. That they would hear of a resurrected Jesus and see good deeds that are done. Because that's, that's exactly what happened in the rest of, um, that's what Peter did. If we go to how did the church respond to persecution in verses 5 through 12, Peter, this, the, the amazing thing that Peter did, and remember, there's all this intimidation going on, right? There's all this intimidation. They're, they're in front of the most powerful people of the land at this point. And what did Peter do? Peter did what he always did. Can I ask this question? What do you do in times of COVID? You do what you always do. You do good works. You speak the gospel. You live the gospel. And then you invite people to come to the gospel, Here's the amazing thing about Acts 4 is when persecution started, Peter didn't change. When when persecution continued through the book of Acts, the church did not change. In fact, if we were to read the entire uh, chapter of Acts, Acts 4, we would read that they prayed for boldness to preach the God, to continue to speak the gospel, and then the last part of Acts 4 is they went out and cared for one another. They did good deeds. When they stood before the Sanhedrin, nothing changed. When they left the Sanhedrin under the threat of persecution, nothing changed. The church always does the same thing. The church throughout history has sought to maintain. The pre- you read Richard Wormbrandt. They, there's, a, there's a title called, We Came to an Agreement. They beat us, we preached. They would be beaten, they'd come back in the cell, they'd, the, the pastor would come back and he'd say, okay, where'd I leave off? And they continue to preach the word of God. The church has always, and not always, but the church has consistently uh, just done what it's always done. This has thrown us for a loop. What are you called to do during COVID times? What is the church called to do during COVID times? Do good deeds. That's what Paul did. Here's the question that, that if, um, when the world comes at us, here's the question that they should, we should be asking them. If we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed? They saw a good deed that was done. And it might, we might not say healed at this moment. We'll talk about that later on in the series. But if, we, if somebody comes up and they should be asking the question, you are being examined today because of a good deed that you have done to a disabled person, by, um, by what means he, he or she was cared for. You cared for someone who was weaker. And they noticed it. And what does that do? That backs up the gospel. What does Peter do? after he talks about the good, the good deed, 
He talks about Jesus. I love how Peter does this. Peter says this. Peter says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. This is bold. This is clear. This is concise. The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that's the life of Christ, whom you crucified, our sins, specifically them. He He did not back down. He did not back down. He stood. He said, you And Caiaphas, the high priests were there. The Sadducees were there. They could have killed him right then. That was death-worthy stuff that Peter spoke. He did not back down in the gospel. He said, you crucified him. God raised him. What a message. That is the resurrection power in which we live. Why would anybody not come to Christ at that moment? God raised him from the dead. What's our greatest fear? Death. What is Christ removed? Death. By what? By Jesus. He is raised from the dead. And he, he could have stopped there. By, this man, by, by him, this man is standing here before you healthy. So we say, people say, well, look at, you used to be this, and now you're this, and you're doing all sorts of good deeds. Why do you do such good deeds? What good deeds can I? And you say, it's not in my name. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about Jesus who has changed me. Let me tell you about his power that has changed me. And then he could have stopped there, but he says, verse 11, the stone rejected by the builders, which has become the cornerstone. That is an entire message unto itself. But what does Peter do? Peter is brilliant there because he quotes from Psalm 118. These are all religious leaders. They get Psalm 118. And what would they understand from Psalm 118? That the one Jesus coming, he will suffer But Psalm 118 ends with victory. The one who suffered is now victorious. But this Jesus is now your stumbling block. This Jesus is the one that you have rejected. Come to him. And that's the third thing that the church does as it responds to persecution. They pointed to their, their good deeds through Christ. They spoke the clear gospel. And then they welcomed people to the gospel. They welcome people to the gospel. Listen to verse 12. There is salvation in no other name or no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. The Sadducees were annoyed by Peter and John. We're annoyed by the Sadducees because they're the ones who deny the resurrection. And we think they can't be saved or we think they shouldn't be saved because of how, much, how bad they've done. But here's the beautiful thing is Peter takes those who could have taken his life and he gives them a welcome to the gospel. He says, you will not find life in any other name other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be saved through him. You must be saved through him. What did they do when persecution began? They continued their good deeds. They preached the gospel with clarity and they invited people. They called people to come to the gospel. That has never stopped over this past year. People are coming to the gospel. People are being served. People are hearing the gospel. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. The greater message. Can we say this? There are greater burdens than our freedoms. We may be afraid of the path. We may be afraid of what will happen. It is okay to suffer as a church. It is okay to be inconvenienced as a church. 
And that's where I want to end because we want to just talk quickly about how did God respond to persecution? How did God respond to persecution? We might think, oh, this is going to be such a disaster. The church, it's, it's so lost. But in each part of our text, there were points where the believers in persecution could reach out in hope. Verse 4, listen to this. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men, so men, so there were more that were saved than this, came to about 5,000. I'll just do a quick math lesson. Verse 4 does not come before verse 3. Verse 3 comes before verse 4. Why is that so important? Because those who started coming, those who heard and believed, also heard about the beginnings of persecution. The persecution did not slow down the spread of the word of God. Not only were those who heard and believed, but we read, um, it, we read in verse 8 that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was not in Peter's strength. Peter was filled with the Spirit. He was filled with the words of the Spirit. He was filled in the power of the Spirit. Peter was filled with the Spirit. When you come to Christ, you are baptized in the Spirit. You are filled with the Spirit. You are daily filled with the Spirit. You are empowered by the Spirit. So whatever is happening now, whatever may happen, we know that when persecution begins to take place, God's people will stand with the gospel to do good deeds, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to welcome people into the kingdom of God. People will be saved, and God's people will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the final thing that took place, which is really interesting, is in verse 13. It is when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. This is what Peter said, or this is what Paul said to Timothy. You may know the Timothy letters, and we often look at the Timothy letters as if they're just a senior pastor um, speaking to a younger pastor in a very nice church with no problems, maybe some doctrinal things going on, but it's a relatively calm scene. But actually, along with Hebrews and Revelation, Timothy is very much about persecution and suffering because Paul shares that with young Timothy. And this is what Paul says to Timothy in 2 uh, Timothy 2, 8 through 10. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel. Listen to this. He says this to young Timothy. For which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. Paul suffered bound like a criminal. He was bound. But what is Paul's immediate response to that? But the word of God is not bound. Praise God. Paul's bound. He said, and then if you go on to read 2 Timothy chapter 2, you read about, you end up with, um, uh, remember that in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, about um, the breathed word of God and preach the word in season and out of season. So you have the word of God going forward, even while Paul's bound, young Timothy's timid, and the word of God continues to go forward. The word of God continued to go forward in the midst of opposition. And what did they notice? They noticed that they were uneducated men. They were untrained men, but they were bold. 
and they had spent time with Jesus. I close with this. In the last 40 years, in the last 70 years, however many years that the church in North America has been free, out of all that freedom, do we need to, do we need to grow in boldness? Have maybe we've become a little ashamed of the person of Jesus Christ? Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have we become a little lazy with good deeds and it's become my story? And there's all people hurting. Do we still call people in the name of Jesus Christ, to come to faith in in him? So maybe a disrupted church, we do this with one another. When we go through times of suffering, we need to slow down and we need to consider how God is maturing us in these times. And the same thing happens with the church. Maybe God is bringing us through this time and it's okay to go through it because we are reminded of what we are called to do. And we are asking ourselves, am I saying, am I able to say like we'll see next week that in verse 17, but so that this does not spread, not wanting to spread, verse 18, so they called for them, verse 19, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God you decide for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have heard seen and heard. Maybe the church needs to mature in that area. Maybe the church needs to be seen once again as bold and as those who have spent time with Jesus, even though they may be untrained and uneducated, so that they will continue to do good works. They will continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and invite unbelievers to welcome into the presence of Jesus. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father God, these are challenging words as we live in challenging times. We know we come with our disagreements. We know we come with our convictions as to what's taking place. And we would pray as a church family that if there is anything to divide us, it would only be that of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, we do not want to come through COVID thinking we're all that and more. May we search our hearts as believers and as a church. Have we been as bold about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Or has that decreased? Are we those who spend time with Jesus to increase in boldness? Or has that decreased? Have we caved in doctrine? Have we caved 
so that we shout at the world rather than living among the world but not being of them, but doing good deeds as an invitation to come to the gospel. Lord, we don't want to go through disruptions. We don't want to go through difficulties. But that is what you have done for us. And so we pray that you would mature us so that as we come through this, and Lord willing, as we come out of this, we would be an axe for church. Good deeds, clear proclamation, and many invitations to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, may it be a humbling time. May it be a time to listen to you. May we be broken. Because we know in the Bible, God's people at times stood in pride. Father, for those who came today and don't know Jesus, I pray that they would see the beauty of Jesus, and that they would know that there is no other name by which they can be saved. Save us, Lord. Unite your church, protect your people, and do a mighty work so people bring glory and honor to your name. For your glory, we pray this. Amen. Amen.